For those who don't know me, my name is James. Uh, I have been on staff here for 6,007 days. Um, I'll let you go home and do the math on that. Some of you uh, have not seen me before because you're new to this church in the last three months. I've been on sabbatical. Uh, Thank you for allowing me to do that. I come back more refreshed than I was three months ago. And uh, Angie, it's so good to see you. Do you have the baby? Oh, yeah. Now, this is not Angie, the tall one. <laughs> Angie, Grandma, it's good to see you guys. So good to see you. How's Boise? It's okay? You miss us, don't you? Like not as good as Spokane. Not as good as Spokane. Hi. That's all right. That's how most of them react, too. Okay. Uh, none of that was planned, so we're going to go right back to what's planned. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, 6,007 days on staff. That means I know uh, that sometimes some things offend you when they're said out loud, and, you know, some things don't, right? I, I know that, uh, and we actually thought through this, that when Cindy was, was drawing us to remember 9-11, that some of you would just really, really value that. And I know that some of you, whether you're here in person or watching online, might be a little bit offended because you're thinking, wow, we're, we're drawing in stuff outside the church into the church. Listen, we live in a world that is easily offended. Amen? Anybody? Am I, am I wrong? We live in a world that is easily offended. I mean, we can say one small thing and it's going to tick somebody off. You can, uh, you can share what you feel strongly about on social media, and you're going to have, oh, you're going to have, like, response after response after response. Um, wow. Offensive Christianity. Who's in, who's out? Um, I was born in the, the 70s, um, the 1970s for our younger ones. I grew up in the 80s. I came to adulthood in the 90s. And back then, whether it was in church or whether it was at some sort of evangelism training or something, it was not uncommon for for me to hear the phrase, Christianity is offensive. You ever heard that? A couple of you? Was that just a small town Montana thing? No, Christianity is offensive. Maybe that stemmed from, you know, a church planter in the early first century, a guy by the name of Paul, who wrote to a different church and says, hey, when we preach Christ crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles think it's loony. Well, nonsense is what the text actually says. If, if Paul knew that this faith was offensive, shouldn't we try to be offensive? I mean, I've, I've known people who that's their goal. If they're not offending people when sharing the gospel, they think they're not doing it right. Wow. Right? I mean, what are those? Maybe they're offended by the uh, apparent exclusivity of Jesus claiming he's the only way. Maybe they're offended to get some sins called out. Maybe they're offended because sometimes Christians will say, well, if you do this, say this, act like that, then you're out and God hates you. Right? Their, their, their whole purpose, they, they claim, is to be offensive. And if they're not being offensive, it, it doesn't work for them. So in June, on the first month of my sabbatical, I reread the works of Rachel Held Evans. Uh, she's an author that I have deeply resonated with on several levels. 
And something that she mentioned in her books was actually a kickback to something she tweeted. If you don't know what that is, it's fine. Um, Something she said online. She said on April 2nd, 2014, she says, Christianity isn't offensive because of who it keeps out, but because of who it lets in. Even me, she said. Okay, now I don't know if she was the first one to say that, but I like it so much I'm going to say it again. Christianity, the gospel, isn't offensive because of who it, lets, or who it keeps out, but because of who it lets in. June, that saying hit me. It stuck with me. It is like, I, I've got a, I had a whole di- different sermon series planned out for these first five, six weeks of being back. I'm like, no. So I jumped into the Gospel of Mark, and I tried to read it differently than I've ever read it before. I tried to look and see, who does Jesus let in? Now, by in, I don't just mean eternity, you know, golden streets and forever and forever, by and by, and can I say blah, blah, blah? Um, I don't mean that. I mean who Jesus let into his sphere, who Jesus let into his life, who he welcomed in, who he saw, who he loved, who he engaged with. You know, we so often will open the Bible, we'll so often teach and preach and study that like, okay, I'm, I'm going to find a passage, maybe I'll learn a little bit of historical context to it, and then I'm going to figure out how it applies to me, right? I'm, I'm not going to do that. This might just bomb miserably. It might fail, but that's all right. I want to walk us through the Gospel of Mark, not all in one day, that would be a long day, um, and I want us to look at simply who Jesus lets in. Can we do that together? Grab a Bible, okay? Uh, whether it's online, your, your uh, virtual Bible, whether it's a paper Bible, there are Bibles under the seats in front. You turn to the Gospel of Mark. If you don't know where that is, turn to the middle and then flip to the back. Top right or left of the pages will say the name of the book you're in. Find the, the book that says Mark and look for chapter 1. As we walk through this together, I'm going to stop when we get to each person, and we're going to talk a little bit about each person. I'm going to give you some things you probably know about them and maybe some things that make you think just a little bit more than you have in the past. And then I'm going to ask you, who would this person be today? And I genuinely want you to answer. Um, I'm going to have a phone number up on the screen that I'm going to have you text into. And at the end of the message, if we want to call it a message, I don't want to call it that. But at the end, we're going to talk about who you guys saw as these people. Does that make sense? All right, offensive Christianity. Who's in, who's out? The gospel is not offensive because of who it keeps out, but because of who it lets in. Let me pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys okay if I sit? Not because I'm tired, but this is a visual representation that I am not the expert that's going to stand up and talk at you. I am a co-learner with you. Okay? Make sure I actually have a stool there. (laughs) Been a while since I've been up here. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, so if it sounds slightly different than yours, that's why it still counts. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger, John writes, was 
John the Baptist. Mark writes that, excuse me. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all of the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and to hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Verse 7, John announced, someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, he says, but this person coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now one day, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee came, and John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness when he was tempted where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time prophesied, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. First 15 verses of, John, or of Mark, there is so many sermons in there. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon preached from that text. Okay, good. Most of you, again. Um, oh my goodness, so many sermons. But uh, one person in particular rises up. One person who's in this passage, his name is John. Okay, I was going to say it sounds like Ron, but it starts with a J. His name is John, uh, nicknamed the Baptist. That wasn't his last name, in case you didn't know that. Okay, his dad was Zachariah. His mom was Elizabeth. Uh, simple thumbs up or thumbs down. We're going to do this like gladiator style, okay? Uh, go ahead, put your arms out like this. This is not a trick, okay? Um, if you think Jesus let John in, don't do it yet, but give me a thumbs up. And if you think Jesus didn't let John in, give me a thumbs down. Those who are watching online, you can use a little emoji button in the comment box, okay? Did Jesus let John in? Go ahead, you can thumb up or thumb down, or if you don't know, leave it. Okay, very good. Uh, okay. Why? You ever stop to think about that? Why would Jesus let John in? Was it because he was related to him and you have to let family in? Uh, Luke chapter 1, if you want to know the relation, go ahead and read that. Uh, some sort of extended cousin. I mean, you don't have to like your family, but you have to love them, and you got to let them in. If my family's watching, I love you and like you, okay? So did Jesus let John in because of nepotism? Oh, you guys are actually going to talk back this morning. That's good. Some of you said no. Did Jesus let John in simply because John was playing a role I mean, if you didn't notice, it said John prepared the way. Um, God hadn't spoken to Israel for 400 years. 400 years of silence. And then all of a sudden, you get this guy who's out in the middle of nowhere yelling at the Israelites. And what he's yelling sounds a lot like what the prophet Isaiah said would happen. That's what Jesus referenced in this passage. It also sounds like what the uh, prophet Malachi said would happen. You can just listen. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, uh, God said through this prophet, Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. 
Sound familiar to our Mark 1 passage? It does. If you weren't listening, go back and read it. It sounds exactly like that. Okay? Now, Malachi then, a chapter six verses later, says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn fathers to their sons and children to their fathers. Otherwise, I'll come and I'll strike the land with a curse. Mark wanted us to make this connection between John and Elijah. Between John and and the, the prophet that would come and prepare the way, Jesus also made this connection. Matthew chapter 11, again, just listen, you don't have to turn there. John was talking to his disciples. Uh, His disciples started leaving John's disciples. Yeah, they were leaving. Jesus began talking about John. And he says, what kind of man did you expect to see when you went out there? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see somebody dressed up in a nice pair of slacks and a tie that matches their, their shirt? doesn't quite say that, but it's close. Or were you looking for a prophet? Yes, Jesus says. He is more than a prophet, though. John's the man whom the Scriptures refer to when he says, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he'll prepare the way for you. He says, I tell you the truth, of all who have never, ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. A couple verses later, and if you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah the one who the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Okay, so did Jesus just let John in because he was playing a role? Did he let him in because, you know, he was acting out the Exodus story? You ever made that connection? Come on through the the waters of baptism and I'll set you free. Sounds like Exodus. Walk through the waters and you'll be free. Don't give yourself the benefit of hindsight in 2022, but put yourself in the sandals of somebody in A.D. 33. Okay, this guy John, this odd guy John, is getting some press in Judea and all around the area. The verse says all of Judea, all of Jerusalem were coming out to see him. But step back a bit. Imagine you're sitting on the front porch of your house in Jerusalem, and you hear of this guy living alone in one of the harshest deserts in the world, You can look that up. He is wearing simple clothes and eating simple food before minimalism and urban farming was cool. All right? And he is yelling at, excuse me, he's preaching to his people, telling them that they need to change. Would you go and see a guy like that? Again, don't, don't, it's hindsight's 2020 bit, right? Modern-day Episcopal N.T. Wright said there was a lot of people that thought John was mad. You read it, and it looks like he is. John's whole life was a protest. All right, tell me, friends, if he came today living in the woods, yelling at you, would you let him put his hands on you and dunk you underwater? Would you invite him over for dinner? I mean, this guy with crazy clothes that probably smell because I don't know how often he showered. He's got honey and locust-like legs dripping from his beard. And he's got probably a crazed look in his eyes because he's so passionate about this. Would you let him in? Who today can you think of that might be like John the Baptist? Don't say it out loud, okay? Don't say it out loud because there's a number up on the screen, I think. Yep. It's a number. That's a great ringtone. Wow, hey, while your phone's out, go ahead and text this number. (laughs) 
And I want you to tell me who you think today might fit the part of John the Baptist, whether that is prophetic voice, whether that is loony yelling at people, okay? Uh, don't text it. I don't want you to say it out loud because if you're going to tell me it's your neighbor, they don't want to be embarrassed, okay? So text me that number. I'm going to put this down here so that if it starts to buzz, it won't distract us. Let's keep going, okay? We having fun yet? I'm having fun. It's good to be back. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Who else did Jesus let in? This verse says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets, and he called them at once, and they also followed, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Okay, don't forget to be texting in your thoughts on who was a modern-day John the Baptist, but here we go again. Thumbs out. Oh, come on. This just this. David, there we go. Thank you. Did Jesus let in... Simon, Andrew, James, and John, or did he not? Okay, all my friends online, emojis. I don't see it most of I can't see it. I was just saying that. That one's pretty easy, right? Because when, when this guy Jesus says, hey, come follow me, walk with me, be on the in crowd with me, it's like, yeah, he's letting them in. I never made a connection until this past week that of the first four people Jesus called in this gospel of Mark, three of them became his besties. For the younger ones, it's his BFFs. Do they still use that language? Okay. okay. Three of them became his best friends. Anytime Jesus went somewhere that was important, who would he take? Peter, who's also known as Simon, James, and John. Now, did he take those three because they, uh, they already had a rapport together? Because they already like, got along well? Did you know that those two sets of brothers were business partners? Luke chapter 5, at least in my translation, says that. Um, you can look it up later, Luke 5 verse 10. When we read this passage of Scripture, we tend to look at these four guys, and we, we tend to look at what they did and how quickly they followed Jesus, and we idealize that leaving as that is the essence of discipleship. That is what a follower of Jesus needs to be like. You need to be willing to drop everything and go. Can somebody say Amen. Okay, we, we do. We, we have this nice shiny gloss on this veneer of that's what discipleship should look like. That's what the beginning of somebody's faith practice should look like. And Jesus kind of reiterated that in Matthew 19. He said anybody who leaves father or mother, brother or sister, or houses or, or lime scooters and follows after me will receive more. You can read that too on your own, Matthew 19. Don't let me uh, throw any mud on the sermons you've heard in this passage before, but I want to make us think a little bit, okay? If these four guys were fishermen, which this text says they were, then it means that they were not the ones who were picked first at recess. It means that they were not the ones who were picked first at recess. They were not the cream of the crop. Let me explain what I mean. There's a pastor who planted a church in Granville, Michigan years ago. It grew. It exploded. Uh, I followed him for a long time. Still actually do. He did a lot of research about, what, uh, about, about the schooling that young Jewish boys and girls would get. And he said that at the age of six, 
little Jewish boys and girls would go to their schooling and they would memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they'd, they'd memorize, starting at age six, about that much. Yeah, you're like, really? Wow, I'm still working on John 11.35. Um, that one's Jesus wept. I got that one memorized, okay? So at the end of their, their schooling for this, I was usually about four years, those that had it memorized the best, we're talking word for word, the best of the best, they would get invited to go to the next level of schooling. All right, and that next level of schooling actually memorized the entire Hebrew scriptures, word for word. And that only took them, you know, another two or three years. And once they had done that, once they had been able to recite it, uh, the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the most promising, the ones who, you know, oh, they're going to be somebody someday, they would get allowed to put this on their resume and apply to different rabbis to be their disciples. Anybody who didn't make the cut at age 10 or anybody who didn't make the cut at age 12 or 13 got sent back home to learn the family trade, to learn the family business. They were not the best of the best. So Simon, Andrew, I mean, James and John, these guys, they were just your normal, everyday, average, common folk. Okay, we know that. And I'm not throwing any sort of stones at them. I'm not throwing any sort of stones at blue-collar workers. I mean, family trades where you work with your hand, family businesses like this that they're talking about, commercial fishing, in that day would have been passed on from generation to generation for century to century. All right? And fishing in that area was a legit business. Like, it was a thriving, stable, honorable business. So I'm not poo-pooing these guys at all. There was a lot of family fishermen businesses around that area. Uh, sea of Galilee is not really a sea. It's a big lake. If you didn't know that, it's surrounded by land. Um, somewhere between 72 and 88 square miles. And uh, to put that into perspective, Lake Coeur d'Alene is just under 50 square miles. All right, so that's about how big um, Lake Galilee was. And uh, a guy by the name of Josephus, a historian in A.D. 60, uh, not 1960, but A.D. 60, said he was, he was the governor as well as a, a historian in Galilee, and he said just in his small region in Galilee, there were 330 boats, meaning there was 330 family businesses. This is a thriving enterprise, and it's hard work. It is honest work. It's good work. Go ahead, look at your text. What did it say James and John were doing when Jesus called them? Not a trick question. What's it say in verse 19? Fixing nets, mending nets, repairing nets. Have you ever done that? I have. It is finger-numbing, back-breaking, mind type of work. Uh, my family grew up commercial fishing in Alaska. My dad did it. My, my dad's dad did it. His dad's dad did it. And we would have to mend the nets because... Uh, Fish would thrash around, and they'd break holes in the nets. And if you have holes in the nets, can you catch fish? Not big holes, so you have to mend them. Okay, this is fun. There's a picture of my mom. She's mending nets. Don't be fooled by the smile on her face. <laughs> Whoo, because here's a picture of my dad. Hmm. I should, I should rock the stash. Dad, if you're watching, well done. 
1974, those pictures were taken. He's got more of the, the, the facial expression that mending nets like needs. Here's the next picture of, of uh, my mom kind of bending over, fixing the nets there. My dad's probably going to the boat in the background to get some more. This is hard work. Very, very hard work that when you do it over and over for all of your life, your body starts to feel the toll of it. I mean, these guys were doing this uh, six days a week, not Sabbath, but six days a week from the time they were 10 and got not picked at recess. All right? This is long hours, sleep-depriving, sweat-in-the-sun type of work. No wonder when this rabbi says, I want you, they jump out of the boat and leave. Like, ha, ah. I'm out. John, John Spots, you here? I was going to ask you if I could tell this story before I didn't see you, so I'm going to tell it anyways, okay? John has been a mechanic for 26 years. That's, that's blue-collar work, right? I mean, we can clap for that. That is hard work, okay? John is a brilliant man. I would pick him first at recess, okay? Just saying. Over 26 years, your body has started to hurt, Yes? I mean, standing on concrete for 8 to 10 hours a day, leaning over engines, crawling under engines, you feel it when you wake up and when you go to bed and when you stand there. A week ago, John started a new career teaching the next generation of mechanics. I'm so excited for you. And I'm so excited for the next generation because my car breaks and I have no idea how to fix it. It is no wonder Peter Andrew, James, and John, jump ship, pun intended. Come on, somebody. <laughs> These were, <laughs> I was hoping somebody would laugh at that. Maybe not just me. These were ordinary, hardworking guys who worked in a profession and in a trade that, was gonna, that they were going to hand off to their kids. So you would think they would have at least hesitated when this guy walked by and said, hey, come follow me. I mean, don't you think they would have at least said, wait, I'm just your average Joe. You can't do that. But I guess Israel has a history of calling the average Joe. You look at King David. He worked the fields. He was a shepherd. You look at the prophet Amos. Amos chapter 7, verse 14. Amos said, I am not a professional prophet. And I was never trained to be one. My dad wasn't one. I'm just a shepherd and I take care of the sycamore fig trees. But the Lord called me away from my flocks and told me, go and prophesy to my people, Israel. God had a, had a practice of calling the common man, the ordinary man. There's a Scottish author. He was a radio personality, a television presenter. And he said, no one ever believed in the ordinary man like Jesus did. And that should make us smile that Jesus picked the ordinary. He picked the kids that weren't picked. He invited them in. That should make us smile, but did it make Zebedee smile? That's his dad. Did it make the other hired workers smile? Put yourself in Zebedee's sandals as he's, uh, you know, being the general contractor, and put yourself in the fishing boots of the hired men that the text says were in the boats as these four amigos go walking off with Jesus. Again, not trying to tarnish their reputation, but put, put, yourself, put yourself in the bare feet of Peter's wife. Now, that's stereotypical, but she was probably wearing bare feet at home. 
Okay? Think about this conversation when Peter gets home. <laughs> hey, hey, hon, I, I just left all of it to follow this guy named Jesus. <laughs> you did what, Pete? This, 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 this has been in the business for 21 generations. I mean, come on, we, we've got a pension. We've got dental insurance. Pete, what are you doing? You've got a mortgage on your house in Bethsaida. We are leasing the mule from our neighbor. And what happens when your dad throws us back out again and it doesn't get fixed? Abraham did it. I don't care if Abraham did it, right? God told Abraham, leave your house, your dad, your land, and go to this land. I'm going to call. Peter, what are you thinking? Yes, this rabbi has been doing some good things. We've seen him, but you've got bills to pay. I can imagine that conversation. I mean, just be, Peter, just because somebody who's like telling you to learn my ways and do my ways and, and says you're on the in crowd, you don't have to follow them. Go back to work. And if these guys were devout Jews, the fact that they got up and left, it may have made a lot of other devout Jews say, what are you doing? You're breaking one of the big ten. Like honor your father and mother? That's not honoring. There's some Jewish writing called the Book of Sirach. Am I saying that right? Do you know? Okay. Well, good. I'm going to say it confidently. All right. It's the Book of Sirach. And one of the, one of the uh, sentences in there is, is, whoever forsakes a father is like a blasphemer. Ooh. Okay. So fast forward to today. If your son or daughter or your niece or nephew or your boss's son who is set to inherit the company that has been in the family for generations upon generations, who would then hand it over to their kids, if they just up and left, what would you think? Wouldn't you just at least encourage them to to think about it a little bit more? And if they were Christians, wouldn't you say, just go pray about it? (laughs) Hoping that God would change their minds? How many of us would look kindly on an employee who doesn't give a two-week notice but just walks out and says, peace out, Girl Scout, I'm out of here? And yet these are the people that Jesus called. The ones he invited in. The common folk, the blue-collar workers, not the first pick. The ones who would make a decision like that that would leave their family members scratching their heads saying, what did you just do? Can you think of people like that today? Don't shout it out. Okay? I want you to text me. My watch has not buzzed, which means you guys are not texting me. People online, go ahead and text me. That number will get to my phone. Can you think of somebody today who would be willing to leave it all? Or can you just think of somebody who would be, you know, uh, someone who gets up and works hard and earns their paycheck day in, day out? I see a hand. <laughs> like, I'm that person. I want you to text me, okay? Oh, don't tell me it's 1035. Here's the question, okay? Should we keep going? I was hoping to get through chapter one. We're not gonna. Uh, I kissed the Blarney Stone when when I was in Ireland. (laughs) Apparently that gives you the gift of gab. (laughs) Tim told me, what are you doing? You already had it. (laughs) Um, Can I go one more? Are we good with it? Because I'm having fun. All right? I want you to be thinking about who's the John the Baptist of today, the wacko in the woods who's yelling at people, 
to change their ways, I want you to think about who is the blue-collar worker of today that Jesus would see, like see the depths of who they are. And let's keep going, okay? Matthew, uh, we're in Mark chapter 1, verses um, 21 and following. Jesus and his four fishing amigos went into the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. Jesus let the church folk in? What? We're going to talk about that another day. Uh, The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of that man, he ordered. Now at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked. It has such authority. Even the evil spirits obey his orders. Now the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Who does Jesus let in? This time, as was his practice, Jesus and his new gang of four went to church on a Sabbath day. And I tell you what, there was a guy with an evil spirit. We don't know what kind of evil spirit tried to figure it out. None of the commentaries said what it was, but we know that it was powerful enough to take over the guy's voice. All right? Jesus is in this church in Capernaum, which was a town of 10,000 people, so it was probably like a mega church, a mega synagogue, if we could call it that. Good sized congregation, and Jesus is preaching. All right? Not just pretty, like he's, he's really preaching. The text says the people were amazed. Like, he didn't have to ask for amens during his sermon. All right? They were just giving it to him. And I see him about on that third point, about to quote a poem and then give the people a take-home application point, and this guy stands up and does what? Interrupts. Oh. This guy was an interruption. Suddenly, the text says, he stood up and he starts yelling at Jesus. Uh, 6,007 days I've been on staff. For those that are still trying to figure it out, it's a little over 16 years. Okay, I've preached a few times. I've been interrupted a few times. All right? On the outside, I smile because that's the pastoral thing to do. <laughs> on the inside, I'm like, where's my ostrich team? I want them to take them out to the foyer. I want them to tongue lash them. I want them to tell them how to behave in church. I want them to take them up to the upper room, make them think about what they've done. And all you guys are thinking, I will never raise my hand in church again. <laughs> I'm just kidding, kind of. (laughs) This guy was an interruption. All right, how did he get into church? Did the people not notice that he was demon-possessed? I mean, the, the, the drooling from the mouth, the twitching of the eyes, was he a regular at that service? And maybe he just got demon-possessed after the third song, which maybe he didn't like, so the demon interrupted? We don't know any of that. We don't know if he was a regular interruption at service. We don't even know if Jesus interacted with him after the service. We don't know if this guy who was once demon-possessed but now was made clean went home to his family and had this healthy reunion. We don't know if the church folk were high-fiving him saying it's good to be back. We don't know any of that, but what we do know is Jesus did not ignore this man. Jesus didn't brush off the interruption, and I want to say that that means Jesus let him in. 
Jesus let him in. For any of you who do any sort of things in front of people, whether you are speakers, whether you're board members, whether you're coaches, whether you're teachers, teachers, some of you have been teaching for a couple of weeks, some of you have been teaching for a couple of days. How many of you got interrupted in the last couple of days? I got like, amen, amen, amen. Do you like it? Is your first response, your gut internal response, hey, thank you so much, why don't you come over to my house? Mine's not. And yet Jesus let this guy in. So who today is the demon-possessed? And if you're texting in, don't say your neighbor's name because I might read it. I might not. Who today is the interruption that we want to brush off but that Jesus would let in? There's a number up on the screen. I want you to text it. Still haven't got any text yet. Or maybe it's just not coming through. Hold on. Because I told you I'd come back to it. No, nobody. All right. I want to come back to this. Okay? We're looking at three different people Jesus let in. It's not going to take me long, and then I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and then you guys can go home and you can watch football. Seahawks don't play till tomorrow anyway, so I can talk as long as I want. Anybody that did not text in, which would be everybody, do you, oh, did you text in? Oh, I wonder if our church Google number is not working. Okay, that's good, because I, sorry for being, like, rude. Oh, people interrupt the rude people are the worst. Uh, forgive me for all of you who have been texting in, and forgive me that I don't have your answers. Oh, I, I feel just the slightest bit bad. <laughs> all right, so our friends online, I'm sorry you can't participate, but our friends out here live, who's the John the Baptist for you? Who's the person that's yelling? Who's the person that maybe is, and, and again, if it's going to insult somebody, don't say their name, Okay. Who is the John the Baptist for you guys today? You got any? Okay, a crazy, a crazy homeless person. Okay, we might come back to that on the third person also. Anybody? Okay, yours is the guy at the, at the Rite Aid, uh, at the Shadow Rite Aid. With, I love the fact that you know his name. I love that. Yeah. Um, when you talked about the disciples, it reminded me of um, Peter, 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 Master, Okay. Okay. Thank you. I want to come right back to that. That is really, really good. That's powerful. That's powerful. Um, what's that? I'll tell you. Because I got a microphone, and he doesn't have a microphone. So I'll tell you in just a second. Oh, my goodness, all of a sudden, things are starting to come in. (laughs) Hannah, thank you for fixing that. Uh, I don't know if I've got the smarts to be able to just, like, keep going. Um, I think of the John the Baptist like the guys with the bullhorns and the... uh, the sandwich boards that are outside the Seahawks game or that are outside the Mercy Me concerts that are, they got the Jesus hates such and such that, you know, you were referencing. Um, I I tell you what, I want to go up to them and say, hey, is your strategy working? Because your method is making my method a lot more challenging. And I have never once wanted to let that person into my life. 
ever. I don't want to invite them over. Okay, now, the four fishermen, those that weren't picked first, those that uh, weren't necessarily the ones that maybe society, and I'm, I'm going to tell what the, you said, that maybe society thought, oh, I don't know. He said, uh, the LGBTQ community, as they come out and as they share, and all of a sudden there's barriers that are up within the church. All of a sudden there's people that are, I mean, th that group could fit in any one of these in terms of who's being kept out. I'm going to ask a question at the end of this that is just going to rock our world. Thank you for that. Okay? Anybody else? Who's, who's the common folk today? Yep, Miss Barlene, and you may or may not have been here when we were remembering that earlier. Thank you for that. Okay, somebody else, common folk, uh, ordinary people. Yeah, what did you say it again? Say it again. One more time. Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Oh, did he die on the 11th of September? I'm sorry. This is also a memorial for Miss Marlene when Albert passed away. And that was your husband, right? Yeah. So we remember him as well. Thank you for that. Uh, anybody else? I think of the, the person who hands me my tacos out of Taco Bell and how many times that person gets barked at and yelled at. and I, I, the, the working poor... Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think, I think of those, and, and I just, I picture Jesus walking around today seeing these people. And when I say seeing, I don't just mean recognizing that they're there, but I mean seeing their souls. I want to be able to do that. And the fact that you know Austin's name is great because he's so much more than just the homeless guy over at Rite Aid. He's got a story. All right? Now, what about the, what about the crazy guy at the end? Who's the interruption? Yes. Half of your biochemistry class. <laughs> I got to tell you, if I was in your biochemistry class, I'd be that person too, because I wouldn't have a clue what's going on. And when, and when I feel dumb, I just revert to humor. Last 35 minutes. Okay. Um, yeah. Anybody else? Kids. Okay. Yeah. The, the farmers, I think the farmers maybe would have, would have fit in that first group. Man, I struggled with this one because um, it, there's not, I mean, there are, so you, somebody said, the, you said addicts, okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, months ago, this is the one that I came up with. Months ago, I was driving to church, and I noticed about uh, Wellesley that there was this red truck following me really, really closely. I thought, well, it's probably because I'm going to speed limit and I drive a grandpa car and they don't like that. So I kept driving the speed limit. Might have slowed down just a little bit. <clears throat> and I turned into this lane right here and they followed me. Oh, that's not good. 
So then I went past the church because I didn't want them to know where I worked. And then I, I turned left, and, and they followed me, right? And then I turned left again, and they followed me. And I turned left into the parking lot, and they didn't. I'm like, oh, phew, maybe they just live back there. I got out of my car thinking I was going to have this, the, just a normal morning, and that red truck stopped right over here, rolled their window down, and yelled some of the most amazing, profane, like soul-crushing things that I could possibly imagine. And was my first inclination to invite him to coffee? No. I called crime check. <laughs> Offensive Christianity. Who's in, who's out? We've looked at three people. Who did Jesus keep out? Okay, you can make an argument for the devil. That's fair. Wasn't the answer I'm looking for. Who did Jesus keep out? No one. Say it again. Okay, give me an echo over here. No one. And we've only hit the first three stories in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to have some fun walking this journey together. We really, really will. The Gospel is not offensive because of who it keeps out, but because of who Jesus lets in. You want to do something this week? Read the Gospel of Mark. Bring me a list of all the people Jesus like, lets out. Okay? Here's what I'm going to do for you, because we're going to try this. Um, worship team, go ahead and come on up. Thank you guys for being patient uh, and letting me use the gift of gab that the Blarney Stone gave me. Um, at the end of a normal sermon, I'd give you like a take-home application, and here's this, how this applies for you. I just simply want you to look for the people that we talked about today in society today. I want you to look for the John the Baptists, who may look more like the crazy guy living in the woods, who probably has some truth to tell me. I want you to look for the four fishermen, the average people who bust their tail day in, day out, who Jesus says, I want you to be my best friends too. I want you to look for the guy who's the interruption. I'm not going to tell you to go talk to him. I'm not going to tell you to invite them over for coffee. I'm not even going to tell you to pray for them. You should. But if Jesus tells you to do any of those things, do it. I just want us to notice because I want us to start looking with Jesus' eyes. Is that fair? Okay. Let's pray. You got your guitar on? Jesus, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I want to love like you did. And God, as a church, not just First Church, but Big C Church, we will soon find that we need to be on our knees begging you for forgiveness as a Big C Church for the people we have kept out. God, help us. We look forward to this journey that we're going to be on together. In Jesus' name, amen.